Welcome to the Construction Career Podcast with Cliff and Kent, where we explore different areas of the construction industry to shed light on what life is like in companies across the field to help you build your career to your own specification. This episode of the Construction Career Podcast is brought to you by Wilson and Hampton Painting Contractors. Wilson and Hampton has been the premier painting contractor in Southern California since 1923. From concurrent projects at LAX and the historical restoration of the Salk Institute to decorative painting and gold leafing in LDS temples around the world. Whether working in the field or in-house refinishing shop, Wilson and Hampton can provide you with the quality and experience needed to make your next project a success. Welcome everybody to the Construction Career Podcast with Cliff and Kent. Today we've got Jamie Connors from Floor that's going to talk to us. Really our first celebrity on the show, I would our say. celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> you were in the ENR Top 40 Under 40 this year. Oh, I was, yeah. That's so right. How did that come about? I mean, did they did they contact you? To be honest, I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> I just know that from our company, I got reached out to saying, hey, they were going to nominate me for it. So it must be that you nominate people Somebody as nominates. you go th- through it. And so our communications kind of put together the questions that I needed to answer, and I kind of gave her my bits and spiel of it, and then she kind of fancied it up fancied it up and submitted it and god i think it was a few months before i ever actually heard back so we did it last year at oh. some point and yeah then i got it this year so yeah, just like the oscars yeah there you go. <laughs> just like mm-hmm. for yeah, your consideration nomination, yeah <laughs> jamie connors from floor well so how long have you been with floor just about 13 years okay. right out of college started with them and have been with them ever since. Well, let's talk about getting to that point first. Okay. So, you went to school in Vegas. Yep. Which is, to me is a big deal because I'm also from Nevada. High school. Did I say college? No. No, you just said school. What were you doing in high school? Played basketball. What kind of got me in the career is, you know, I was really into architecture and they had a lot of design classes and so I, I took those. But going from high school to college, really, it was about basketball and academics necessarily wasn't the top of my priorities and I was you know lucky enough to have options of where I wanted to go to school but it strictly was about basketball and I ended up going to Long Beach State on a basketball ride basketball scholarship and kind of still had this thing of okay well what's my plan b because basketball is plan a so I needed something to have that was worth falling back onto, and eventually I ended up getting into construction engineering. But that wasn't your first choice. It was not my first choice. Architecture truly was my first choice, but Long Beach State didn't have an architectural program. And so I actually took a class of an intro to engineering classes and decided I wanted to go into mechanical, and I really wanted to do like hospital instruments and that type of thing. The problem is the academic schedule of when my classes were didn't really work with my basketball schedule so I ended up having to kind of look at a different program and ended up going into construction engineering which fell underneath our civil engineering group so it was construct I know at Pomona we had a person here that worked for us that had gone to Pomona and she said the the construction engineering was like the stepchild yeah of the civil engineering yeah I think it's probably like that in a lot of a lot of programs the one thing I could tell you at Long Beach and that curriculum, it was probably like 80 to 90% civil engineering classes. And then the remaining 10, besides your general type classes, I remember we did a class in 
electrical, which was actually a pretty hard class. That's probably why I remember it. Yeah, so we did that one and we did a couple mechanical. And so you kind of really got this good basis of all the different engineering disciplines as well. Okay. Uh, like you said, not what you were planning on. Not at all kind of what I was planning on. My degree was a fallback plan. My future, I truly saw playing basketball till I couldn't play anymore. And when that time came and I was graduating college, it was during the boom of the construction industry. And so it was really competitive. Companies were coming in and recruiting all the time. And I had gotten an offer from Floor actually because of a booster on our basketball team and introduced me to this guy at Floor who wanted to chat with me. And I went and I met him um, in Alyssa Viejo and sat down and it was more of him telling me about Floor and me kind of listening and then presented me with an offer that was one of those kind of pivotal moments in your life of, okay, do I go overseas and play basketball professionally or do I go start an actual career? And it was a hard decision, and I actually ended up choosing to go with my career because I, I really didn't know, okay, well, how long am I going to play overseas? And then I've worked so hard to get my degree. What am I going to come back to? So I ended up choosing to go in a career path that has actually paid off. Well, so. I should point out, and I would like all the listeners to understand, Jamie was like a top quality basketball player. Like <laughs> literally could have gone overseas or played probably in the WNBA. Some of the girls she played with did eventually play in the WNBA. Yeah, they did. And you decided on a career in construction. I did. Yeah. So it just, <laughs> it amazes me every time we talk with people as to how they ended up where they are. Totally not what they had planned originally. Yeah. And uh, we had talked about that a little bit before. You know, it's amazing how many collegiate athletes that we run into in the industry. I mean, People that come through here, like Garrett, Colin, yeah, Jamie, and I can think of some other people. Played sports on collegiate level and yeah. decided to go into construction. And it, my perception is if you play collegiate level anywhere, you're a pretty good athlete. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you look at, like, the work environment, too, and, and the characteristics and traits of athletes, especially at a D1 level, you know, you're going through school, you're studying, you're going to classes – you have practice, you have to maintain a certain GPA to stay eligible. And then not on that, some schools like for us, for example, we had mandatory study hall that we had to go meet with certain people and actually sign in to actually show that you came and did all this stuff. Plus, on top of that, you have not just practice, but now you have your rehab and getting all that type of training so that your body's still healthy to continue playing. And in an athlete's day, it is packed. And then to fit in the studying and, and your exams and you're traveling during season. And so you're out of the classroom a lot, but you have to maintain, you know, right up with everyone else. And, you know, basketball, I was lucky because I was on a full ride scholarship. But when you look at some of the other athletes, like, for example, track and field or water polo, they don't always get full rides. And so they're also working on top of doing everything else that I just said. So when you're talking about time management and prioritizing things in your life like teamwork getting through obstacles and adversity and all the other things like having a coach that you have to listen to or getting along with your teammates at times you know I think there's a lot of traits that come with athletes too that kind of help in the workplace long hours were not a surprise to you no not at all (laughs) not at all yeah no it's it still isn't (laughs) from Long Beach 
you graduated Long Beach. You went to work before it. Did you do any internships? I did. Yep. One was part of our program. So I did an internship for WebCore Builders yep. out in LA. And that was kind of the first introduction to construction that I really had. Or, you know, actually, I take that back. It wasn't. That wasn't my first one. The first actual internship I did was on Long Beach State's campus as part of their construction management and facilities group there. And I got to be part of the team that helped build the new athletic building there for all the administration to go into, which was kind of cool. I think I did that my sophomore going into my junior summer. And then my junior into my senior summer, I did a three-month internship at WebCore. Well, she's leaving out the small hands internship. <laughs> we had talked earlier about, was it your dad? Yeah, absolutely. So as a, a kid, what really got me into the industry was my dad. He really built a lot of things around the house. I remember doing a deck with him at our cabin. We built the entire deck that wrapped around our cabin. And then a lot of mechanical stuff, doing a lot of mechanic work on the cars. And, you know, as I mentioned to you guys earlier, I think a lot of the time was because I just had small hands and I could get into places where he couldn't fit because, I mean, my dad's six four, six six, and... I mean, he was a big guy, so it's it was good to have me as his buddy. <laughs> what industry was your father in? He was a police chief in Montana. Awesome. From there, graduated Long Beach. Where did you go from there? I mean, you went to work for Floor? I went straight from Long Beach. Yeah, I went straight into Floor, and I was in our home office for a couple months, and then they sent me to Washington State. And yeah, the Floor, home office was where? In Elisa Viejo here in California. Okay. The thing about floor is it's a global company right i mean we're in every continent doing all different types of projects and i really like to say floor is a company that we do residential to commercial to government everything and so a lot of people look at floor as this they do just mega projects but within those mega projects we do a lot of the everyday type of projects too, the commercial and the residential, because we're sometimes in such remote areas, we build man camps and it's the complete infrastructure that you would need for someone to survive for a year or two years in that area. So we do a lot of residential as well. After college, I went to Lisa Viejo and here in California for about three months. And then they sent me up to Washington State in Moses Lake, Central Washington. It's a real, real small town to build a polysilicon refinery up there. So it was a ground up, about 500 million was the first project that we did. And I was a civil field engineer where I did both civil and structural. And then from there, they wanted us to build a sister facility, just like the one we just did right next to it. So we built that one from the ground up and I was pretty much on that project from the very beginning through the very end. So you were, you were a field engineer on both projects, or did you move into different disciplines during the course of the two projects? So I started civil, so I was one of the first of five people on that project, and I did all the dirt work, and then I did all the concrete, all the foundation work, and then because my work was the first one slowly getting done as we were getting up out of the ground, I moved over into turnover coordinator, and when you're doing these mega type of projects, we have so many different types of systems that are going into this and we have to break down the work into like really small packages to make sure that everything was installed correctly and that I could take this component in this piece of scope and give it to the operations group for that's going to actually come in and run that and actually be able to go start that system up. And so I moved from 
civil engineering into this turnover coordinator role, which I actually loved in many aspects because I got to see every aspect of the project, every discipline of the project. I shadowed, I was very hungry for the knowledge as a field engineer and I got called green all the time by the older guys and, and it's just part of being out there. And, and I would ask them, can I shadow you? Can I go climb up that vessel with you and, and look at the welding? What are you looking at? And these were for guys that had 50 years of experience. I followed piping engineers around because I want to understand how you hydro test a line. What kind of welds are you looking at when we're looking at the x-rays? I looked at everything they would let me. And so by the time I got to be this turnover coordinator, I get to walk everything down with piping isometrics and PNIDs and, and be able to say, yep, everything was installed per the drawings and specs and you're good to go. I and sign off on it. And sign off on it and, and let the contractor get paid for their work and then give it to ops and let them go ahead and start commissioning it. One thing I wanted to touch on as you were talking about this, you started off on the civil engineering, you know, civil slash field engineer. Mm -hmm. What was the name of your degree that you got? Construction engineering management. So you weren't a civil engineer. It was not a civil engineer. Does that, I mean, let's talk a little bit about that because there's a lot of kids that are pursuing a civil engineering degree. Sure. I mean, do you feel that that's a necessity? Do you do just as much with a construction engineering degree? Oh, yeah. You, you could do just as much with a construction engineering degree. Like I was saying earlier, you don't, necessarily need your professional engineering degree to go do what we were doing. I was a civil field engineer and I was doing drawings in the field and giving them to the contractors to go install. And even in my degree at Long Beach State, we had to take a lot of design classes and do all the calculations and everything. And at school, it was funny because you would do your calculations, you turn it in and maybe your structure buckled. Who knows, right? Mm -hmm. But it wasn't a big deal. My first few weeks out in the field, I had to go redo a small kind of pier, a little foundation, because we ran into an obstruction underground. So I put my design together. I like double, tripled, quadruple checked it. And I'm like, okay, this is going to work. And I go give it to my boss to look at, because I want to make sure he was good with it too. And I put it on his desk in front of him and he just glanced up and he goes, yeah, I just go have him go build it. And I'm like, he didn't even look at this. <laughs> and I'm like, if this doesn't go in. My butt's on the like, line. Like, yeah. And so I was really worried about it. And I go and I give it to the contractor that I was overseeing to go build. And they install it. But I was out there the whole time with them, making sure everything was going right. The rebar was right. Everything. And, of course, it, it went off no problem. But it was interesting because those first couple months, I was a lot more anal in some aspects of my work and wow. what I was giving them to go build. Well, you were just conscientious. Oh, absolutely. Because you left confidence. Oh, yeah. And, and it wasn't where I didn't have that experience to right. just kind of like my boss at the time to just glance at it and be like, yep, go do it. Here's a quick sketch. This will work. But by the end of that project, that's how I was. I could just be like, well, here, go do that. That'll work. So it's, it was interesting. And, and I gained, like I said, it's what I would say is if you're on any project, even as an intern, and I wish I would have done this more as an internship because as an intern, you're usually doing like quantity takeoffs and RFI tracking and, you know, that type of stuff. I wish I would have spent more time with like the superintendents and even more so with the general foreman to just shadow them to get a better understanding of 
what they do mm-hmm. and and really get in with the carpenters and, and the other craft so that I understood that a lot more before I even started my actual job. Uh, that's also been one of those recurring themes we get to. You know, any craftsman, good craftsman will have yeah. no problem telling you how oh, no. they do their craft. When you, even still to this day, like the people that work under me, you know, some of them are new to the construction side of it. They're very much engineering home office type people. Now they're out in the field with me and all of our contractors, especially when you start building that relationship with them, I said, I've told my people, I'm like, go ask them if you can shadow them for the day. I guarantee you they will be so excited to share that with you. And they have. And I have a process engineer, a chemical engineer that works for me right now. I've asked her the other day, I said, what do you think you've learned on this project that you could go back and implement later on? And the biggest thing she said is she got to be on this project from cradle to grave. So she got to be on it from all the way during engineering to follow it through construction, understand how construction executes now to turning this over so that operations can start it up. And she said, the biggest thing I think I'm going to take away is I've never during the engineering phase understood construction enough and how they would actually go build this and how they test everything to be able to incorporate that into my design. And so now she's like, you know, maybe I'll add some more flanges. Maybe I'll think how they're actually going to start this up so that from a constructability standpoint, it's kind of already there for them. Right. right. So I think if you can really get on something from the very beginning through the very end, you're going to be so much further beyond other people. Well, there's a lot of people that they don't get to see that. Yeah. You know, some of these big commercial firms, they come in during the pre-construction and they leave. Or yeah. they come in during the final and then they move to another project. And, yeah. And that's, we've talked about how being able to see that. Mm-hmm. I mean, just from the design aspect. Of, oh, yeah. You start to think about, well, how are you going to maintain this building? You yeah. know, like well, that light up in the middle of nowhere doesn't make yeah. a whole lot of sense now. Yeah. You know? No, and that, that is true because that, that's one advantage of working for a company like Floor is you have both arms, right? You have an engineering arm and you have a construction arm. And it really allows the flexibility to be able to see a project cradle to grave. So she had the same experience you had yeah. because cradle to grave. Yep. And here's the biggest difference with her. She graduated from MIT four years ago. I told her in her four years at Floor, just being on this one project, which usually you rotate after about 18 months, maybe two years, that she has gained probably more experience than some of the 30-year people that have had at the company because they stay in the home office. They do engineering. They don't go to the field. And if they have in their career, it's for small stints. That probably a rare percentage has followed it cradle to grave but likelihood probably not and I said so you're so young in your career right now but you're so far ahead that I don't even think you've realized how much knowledge you've gained already on this project. I think there's a real advantage too if you do that in one project where they're having to piece it together subsequently like I was over here and then and then you, you get this piece that's three steps down the road then you go back to this piece Mm -hmm. but when you can see that whole sequence develop i think it's richer yep yeah absolutely it's much easier to put together oh yeah that's for sure you have the history so you when you're in construction you realize the contractor's upset because we're building it this way or that's how the design was but you have that history because now you know why you had to design it that way that yeah maybe they're right but every design and option you put in front of the client 
they said, no, we can't do it this way because of a spec or a regulation or something like that, that the contractor doesn't know. So you're able to provide that feedback, but then you also hear their gripes of where it's hard for them to actually be productive and efficient. Well, and it's interesting to think, and we'll talk about this a little later on, but like you said with floor, the building is just a small percentage of the things oh, that yeah. guys do. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these commercial firms, that's that's it. I mean, we build massive structures, yeah. and there's so much more that goes into it. With yeah. a company like you know, Floor, Bechtel, some of these bigger, bigger companies. Yeah. One of the things I would like to touch on is you had talked about you know, when you were new in the field, going out and asking, can I shadow this guy? Can mm-hmm. I go with you? Can I see this? And, yep. and I think that is a huge bonus mm-hmm. for kids to understand. If you've got some downtime, or even if you don't necessarily have downtime, but you're in the field, make use of that. Yeah. It's only going to help your career. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So okay. as we talk about, you know, where you went from civil to field engineer. I started as a, a civil field engineer in Moses Lake, Washington. And I was on that project, what was only supposed to be 18 months, turned into almost four years. And because, like I said earlier, we did this 3.0 and then 4.0, 18 months turned into almost four years. And while I was on there, probably my second year, I had a spare desk in my office and I didn't know who he was at the time, but he was a VP in our company that was going to come in and share my office with me. And, you know, I was... It was nice of you to share that. Yeah, I was, you know, young (laughs) out of school, naive in a lot of ways, and titles didn't really mean anything to me. I was just there to do my job. And the site manager came in and was coaching me on how I'm supposed to be with this guy in the office and everything. And anyways, he came the next day, sat in my office, and I talked with him all day. And we really didn't talk about work. We just talked about basketball. We talked about school, what I studied, what I didn't like, what I liked, what classes. Where do I want to go in my career? And it's hard when you start out in your career because you don't know what you don't know. I had thought I knew what I wanted to do. And and as I kind of thought about it, I didn't even understand the organization structure of floor at the time. And when you work for a, a big global Fortune 500 company that has... 40,000 plus employees worldwide, you have no idea what that actually means. After talking with this VP for a while, he later actually became a huge advocate of me within the company and got me into this fast track kind of rotational program where I thought my career might have gone just strictly staying in construction. It didn't. And when I got into this rotational program, that after being a the civil field engineer, they sent me to the home office as a project engineer on an entire different type of project than what I was working on before. And it was on the engineering side. So I moved from construction now into the engineering side. And I ran as a project engineer about a year, year and a half. And that project unfortunately didn't move forward from a cost issue. So they tabled it. And after that, I got sent down to our Sugarland office right next to Houston in Texas and was a constructability lead. Well, let's and talk a little bit about project engineer. Okay. Like what, what did you do as a project engineer? So what was your day in, day out routine? As a project engineer, you are kind of the right hand person to the project manager. So it's kind of one of those tasks that you do everything to make their life easier and you usually get a lot of tasks that they don't want to do, right? And it is, you, you do a lot of the grunt work. You're, you're doing a lot of tracking. I, for me personally, I was overseeing all of the engineers and making sure that I'm taking obstacles out of their way in order for them to continue making progress. I tracked 
our RFIs to the client. I tracked hours. We do a lot of value engineering type of constructability where we can have savings if we make changes here. So I tracked all of that. While I was there, I wanted to really get involved in scheduling and the estimating part and understanding some of the project controls aspect of it because I didn't really do that a whole lot in the field. You know, it was already kind of done and I was just using the information I had to manage. And so here I got to be a really big part of having input into that. And the best thing about being a project engineer when I came back to the home office is no one in the home office really had that construction experience. And so I got to come in and actually have a lot of influence where I got a seat at the table and people were listening because I just came off of four years of being in, in the field to provide a lot of that input into the schedule, into our estimates. Working with engineering was new to me across all the disciplines and how floor operates it and, and how they all link and, and who needs what drawings by when in order for them to do their work. And so I gained a lot of knowledge during that time of just understanding the work processes that engineering uses. Jamie, when you say that you tracked a lot of different things, which to me sounds as though it's a big organizational mm -hmm. task, did Fleur have systems already set up that this is the way you track these things? These are the systems that allow you to track all these multiple documents that are, you know, different kinds of documents. I think most companies do. Maybe they're not the best uh, every time and uh, you do reinvent the wheel in some aspects because every project might be a little bit different on what the requirements are but yeah you definitely have go-bys you have work processes you have procedures that you use it's not like you're coming in completely blinded and just getting thrown in and say figure it out you do get a procedure or process that you're following that gives you a template that you're probably going to fine tune and, and adjust a little bit for your project to kind of actually meet the deliverable that you have. Well, you, you can't scale without those processes. No. And if, right. So a company the size of floor, you know, you want to bring somebody in, everybody needs to be on the same page. Oh, yeah. And, and you think, as we were talking earlier, floor is over 100 years old. They've had more than 100 years to make these practices. Refine yeah, and, these and make them some of the best in the industry. So anything you need to go do for your job at floor you could go find a procedure for. You can go find a binder full of Absolutely. procedures. Absolutely. <laughs> or reach out across a 40,000 plus people and say, hey, do you have a go by for this? And I guarantee you, you'll find it. I wonder if there's some sort of critical mass point where people in the organization finally go, oh, we have to follow the procedures. Because uh -huh. in a small organization like this, they don't, they don't care. It's like, it's like pulling teeth to get people to follow them. Just the simplest things, you know, it's just like, will you please put the job number on every piece of correspondence? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> Bad yeah, apps. absolutely that we have in our company because, you know, even, you know, we do these mega projects and so you have to have, it can't be chaos, right? Yeah. You have to have everybody in their swim lane and that they understand what their role in that job is. But we also do a lot of small projects and sustaining capital work. And in those, we still have to have that same process because you might be working on five different jobs at the same time. And if they're all for the same client, I need to understand, well, what job are you talking about when we're corresponding to each other? It's not just the one at the airport. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's it's you could be doing it at one of their facilities, 10 different jobs. 
And so if you don't have kind of that structure built in, balls are going to be dropped and there's going to be way too many gaps. It's all about teamwork in a sense. Yeah. Everybody in the, you know, in their proper lane and so forth. And I really wonder if there's some point where an organization where people suddenly realize, oh, you know, I got to follow the rules. Well, yeah, when you start firing people <laughs> <laughs> that don't do it, you bring in people and raise them up the right way. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's, that's a hard thing. And uh, even though there are these procedures and these policies, I mean, I'm sure you still kind of feel like you're thrown in the deep end. Oh, hey, here's a binder. You know, follow these and yep. you'll figure it out. But what's funny is a lot of people talk about. I haven't been trained to do that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in, in, any of the, in any of these episodes that we've done, they talk about, oh, yeah, you kind of got to figure it out on the fly. Yeah. But if you have that network of people you can go back to yeah. and say, okay, I got to do this, and this is what the book says, and I can't figure out how to put A and B together, yeah. like, that's a big deal. Well, and the more experience that you get, I, I'll be honest, I know for we have a procedure that you're not supposed to have your own library or keep anything on your own hard drive but you kind of have to because you go through all these projects and you develop a lot of great tools on these projects that maybe didn't always exist but it was something specific for this job that i needed so you keep that in your library and i guarantee you pull as you get those years of experience your library is going to grow and grow of things that helped you on jobs that you'll go back to over time i can so. adapt this for this project yeah absolutely you know, and use it there yeah so from there project engineer sounds like one of the first roles you have where you're actually over people yeah and you get to manage them and see how they and in floor it's really interesting because some areas you have direct reports and others you're responsible for everything but you have no authority over them here's a but, bunch of responsibility but no authority. yeah but but you got to get them to do what you need them to do or you're responsible for that so how do you deal with that relationships i think relationships even when i was in the field starting out it's in this industry i think relationships are so important and i think as long as you're respectful to the person that you're working with and that you're not just kind of always dictating and hammering them down and this and that, and that they see you're really trying to work with them that it could go a really long way and even still to this day relationships i made back when i first started I still get calls from a lot of those guys just saying hi, you know, and I know I could call any one of them and ask for something like, hey, do you remember when we did this on this project? Do you still have that? And I've gotten things that way. And I think the more relationships you can build and the bigger the network that you have, the more successful you potentially could be because people are more than willing to help as long as you have a good relationship with them. Hopefully people learn that, you know, there's these key principles that are timeless yeah and you have to follow what's going through my mind at the moment okay is that so jamie is the first woman we've had on the podcast and yet what she's talking about is exactly the same things that all the guys have talked about (laughs) so you know the idea that oh it's it's a male dominated it's only male dominated because that's historic there's no real reason behind that because you can build relationships just like some guy can. Sure. You can understand the mechanics of things and so forth. It's just putting yourself in there, mm-hmm. getting into the organization, and moving forward. Yep. Well, and we'll touch back on the gender thing in a little bit. I mean, let's go through your career real fast, and, and we'll come back to that. Thanks for that word. I was missing that word, gender. Right. <laughs> so, so from project engineer, where did you, you went into this? Yeah, so I was in the rotationals. That, that was my first rotation, and it was home office engineering. 
So now well, I've explained the purpose of that rotation and what they were trying to do. I think so that was really interesting. The goal of this program that I was in was a fast track program to become a project manager. And a lot of it started was because it was the boom of the industry and there was so much work out there, but we didn't have enough project managers to actually manage the work. So quality project well, managers. Yeah, good, good catch. <laughs> so it was supposed to be six month rotations in, in each of these different roles, but Let's see, it was about 2008 when I got into the program, and shortly thereafter, the economy tanked. And so those six-month rotations became a year, year and a half rotation because they were looking, trying to find the opportunities to get you in that right spot to learn what you needed to before you moved on. And to be honest, spending more than six months, I think, is a good thing because you actually had to really get involved and learn. Where six months, I feel... Yeah, you're going to get in, you're going to learn a little bit, and then you're gone. But you're not fully grasping everything in the, in that role. Well, so, if you know you're going to leave, it's like if you don't like it, yeah. you just, uh, just put up with yeah, it for two be months done. and I'll be gone. I'll be know? done, yeah. So I spent about a year, year and a half in each role. So I, I then went into as a project engineer, and I learned the home office and the engineering side of it all. From there, they sent me to Houston, to Sugarland as what they called a constructability lead as part of our global operations group so in that role what I got to do is kind of be on the pre-con side of everything and I helped all of the projects that were in Sugarland in setting up their temporary facilities looking at whether we do modular or stick build what's our craft going to look like are we doing self-perform or CM and so I got to get involved from more of an operation standpoint early on in the project of supporting all the projects in that area because Houston is our main construction hub. Headquarters. Right? Yeah. And so you kind of support all the projects across floor that, that need construction help and rigging. I mean, I got involved in so many different aspects of the pre-planning to go to construction. And one of the jobs that I got on, we were doing self-perform in the Gulf Coast, and I got to be on a team that helped get the client to go from a CM mindset to letting us do self-perform. So I got to see the strategy that got to go into that. And then as part of that, I supported all the rigging studies, the modular studies, did all of our craft density analysis for that, came up with the logistics plan on, on how we were going to get this 300 foot, like 32 feet diameter vessel from the port into this facility. So I got to do all the logistics and heavy haul planning for that. Now at this time you're into the industry about six years? Yeah, about six years. It sounds like you're doing a lot in six years. I was lucky because that's kind of this program I got put in designed me to. And it wasn't that I picked what my next rotation was. We came up with a career plan of saying, okay, these would be good ones, but it doesn't mean that opportunity or it actually followed that. It was, hey, here's the opportunities we have. Would you be open to any of them? And for me, you know, I was young, single, everything. I was like, yep, I'll go. I was willing to go wherever they wanted me to go to gain the experience because that's the quickest way to move up within a company. Because if you stay in one area in a large company, your opportunities are going to be limited to that area. And so you're kind of not going to have as many choices. I'm thinking that in that six-year span, and you're talking about constructability and moving the logistics and so on and so forth, those are experiences that you hadn't had. And so how are you maneuvering 
in that environment where because i'm thinking you're using your imagination Mm -hmm. you're looking at this like oh they they've given me this problem and i know this and i know this and i know this but none of these things it's not what exactly i know so you're having to come up with solutions or an alternative solutions and i'm I would imagine that someone above you is helping you with the final decisions. Mm-hmm. But th- there's a lot of creative thinking yeah. in what you're doing. So when I was started with Floor Out in the field, I got exposed to a lot of the temporary facilities because I was one of the few construction people that actually knew AutoCAD. And so I got involved in helping design some of the temporary facilities that we needed that wasn't really established yet. So I had a little exposure to that. And then being out in the field for almost four years, I learned a lot of things that went right and a lot of things that didn't go right. And so I had a lot of that to be able to use in in going forward, but it goes back to my network too. So in construction, I had met some subject matter experts in a lot of these areas where it was a phone call saying, hey, I'm working on this. Here's kind of what I'm putting together. Take a look at this. Is this what you would do? And then within floor, we have a modular expert. And so he would take a look at it. He would run his calcs and be like, yeah, here's why you need to save a stick built from a cost comparison, right? So I had a lot of help. It wasn't solely just me. And and I don't think I could have ever just done that myself. That it's very much any project you're on or any task really you're working on in some aspects, there's still a team aspect to that, especially when you're running projects. From going to having that construction experience early on in four years and then going to engineering, being part of that pre-con, you gotta think we start pre-con early, early, like two years before we ever go to construction, in some cases, depending on the size of the project. And so now I had this whole engineering experience as well. So I understand how they operate within engineering that I knew who to go to, to get certain information when I needed it to develop the plans that I was coming up with for logistics. I need to understand the size of the vessel that we were bringing in, the weight of the vessel. So I went to mechanical. They gave me all that information, them in process. And then I reached out to a a large rigging company and I said, hey, here's all the drawings. Here's all the information you need. I need to get from point A to point B. I've already gone, done a bunch of site walks. Here's all the information of where high voltage, you know, power lines are running. Freeway. Freeway. Yeah. yeah. Everything come up with your guys's plan because that's who we would have contracted with to actually move this from the port into the site right so they're going to do their own study on it and provide it to us so you use a lot of different knowledge that you've gained throughout all of your experience and, and for me i had the construction side now and then and i had the engineering now i'm looking at it from a higher level and doing pre-con, which I hadn't really done before. One of the points I would like to make, and this is something I've, I've had a hard time in past episodes trying to put this into words, but you touched on it earlier, and Cliff had said something about confidence, right? And, and you had said, like, when you did this this drawing for this this uh, foundation, and your boss looked at, didn't even look at it, and was like, okay, that's good. Like, yeah. it blows my mind. Like the amount of stuff that they put. If you're here, you are out of school, six years out of school. Yeah. Right. And it's like, hey, we got all this crap you got to figure out. Yep. And they just let you. I mean, yeah. there's no one there necessarily holding your hand. 
but you've got an, uh, kind of like Bruno we had talked about earlier like no one told you you couldn't yeah so it's just like oh yeah, I'll figure this out like I can go do this and I can go do that and we'll try this and maybe that doesn't work and what do you think about this yeah and and I think that's important that kids understand like you got to kind of have that motivation yeah. to just go figure it out yeah and you can ask people and you can either you got all these resources that you can draw on yeah I will say this uh, and I think this would go to any company. Don't ever do just what they ask you. Do 5% more. And if you show that you're this go-getter and you don't need someone over there telling you, hey, okay, now you got to do A, then go do B, and then go do C, and you just try and go do it yourself and then you bring back everything you did plus add that 5% to it, people are going to be really satisfied with your work. You know, because you just took a lot of work away from them that now your responsibilities are going to grow because that trust is happening. So I, I think the more you can do and, and to be that go-getter and, and to jump up and say, I'll do it, even if it's take out the trash, you know, it, your responsibilities will grow. When I worked for the dean at Rice one summer, he had this attitude about any time they gave him a project, he was certain he could do more with that project. Mm -hmm. And they asked us to do a parking study. And he was like, we can change the entire campus. <laughs> <laughs> That was, was his mentality. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's his mentality. That's his yeah. mentality. He's like, hey, they've given us this. There's an opportunity here to do a lot more. Yeah. You know, we can really, you know, just not, say, put a parking place here, but, hey, let's talk about how you enter the campus and how you circulate through the campus and the modes of transportation through the campus and so forth. Yep. From there, I mean, you went, you were in Houston still. Mm -hmm. Where did, what happened next? I mean, so from Houston, I got moved into a contracts and procurement manager role in Paris, France, as part of a mining and metals project we were doing in oh, Guinea, poor Africa. You, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. And you it, don't speak French. I don't, no, I don't Shame speak French. No say. <laughs> I wish I did. I just went to Paris last summer and I'm like, oh man, if I would have learned. But yeah, so I went to. Paris on business trips for about a year and a half roughly and it was a great experience but you know you look at my career I never I never thought I'd be kind of where I'm at within floor I'm in a certain business unit but here they just moved me from energy and chemicals really doing kind of petrochemical type work now going into a mining and metals project which is heavy heavy civil that I've never done this type of work before. Anything remotely close. Yeah, yeah, anything remotely close, but it's there's a lot of synergy between what you do because your work processes are still the same. There's a lot of transferable knowledge. Yep, exactly. If you have it. If yeah. you have the knowledge that you can transfer. <laughs> to talk about that project, we were talking about it over dinner. I mean, the scope alone for something like that. I mean, mm -hmm. You guys were building a mine, yep. moving towns, yep. going to build a port. Yep. I mean, it's not just, like we said, you're not just building buildings. That's like the easy part of what we're doing. Yeah, the, the scope of that project, I mean, it's a $17 billion project. And the largest project I had been on up to that point was about a billion. And so the scope of this project to me was ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we we were going into a remote area that had no civilization. And so we had a helicopter people in. To go down, start kind of developing the infrastructure. Cut that, down the trees so you yeah, can put in the camp. Exactly. You know? So and 
to develop that infrastructure for the staff and craft to sleep in while we're building everything else and we had to cut down all the trees and everything to get the roads build the roads to get in there so we had that infrastructure piece then we had to build the mine and then we built we're built going to build a 300 mile railroad where we had to relocate villages the railroad along the way and then do a port so at the end yeah it was going to be about 17 billion and that just the scale like i want people yeah. to understand the scale of just this one project that you yeah. guys are undertaking well, a 300 mile railroad in and of itself is a huge project yes. yeah you know let alone all the other stuff and, the, and then a port yeah or a port yeah yeah <laughs> you know, one or the other would be the feather in somebody's cap. yeah you got to yeah. figure out how you're going to get the material out so so you were in paris for how long about a year, year and, and a half, half yeah the food was great i'm guessing oh yeah you know, yeah. From there, where did you go? When that project got canceled, I was back here because I was going on business trips. And they sent me to Long Beach, California. So back to SoCal. And I was going as a project engineer again, as a level a lot higher than where I was the first time, with a heck of a lot more knowledge than I had the first time. And this time, it was for the overall project as a project engineer, not just focusing on the engineering. A, a yep. kind of had scope. a set of scope. And I had a program manager over me, and that's when I was doing work on the Alaskan pipeline. As I started as a project engineer on this role, that program manager left the company. They had nobody to fill this position, and since I was the closest to the knowledge of the scope, they said, hey, Jamie, why don't you take it over? Guess what? You got promoted. Yeah, take it over. We'll we'll find somebody to kind of come in and eventually Help under you. Yeah, no, actually run it. Okay. Why don't you just come in? You just got it for the time. Intermediate. Being. Yeah, why why we go find someone to come take it? And I'm like, okay, sure. I've never ran an entire program, let alone that many projects at once, right? And so I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it, no problem. So explain to people what a program is. So a program is when you have one specific client and you have multiple, multiple projects underneath that client. And within that client organization, they're going to have many project managers as well that are your counterpart. So as a program manager, I'm dealing with different projects under the same client, but they could be in completely different areas and different teams on the client side. So you you get a lot of help on your side to kind of help do the day-to-day interaction with them and you're running it more from an overall standpoint you're seeing it from the the, the overall picture like you yeah say. the balcony versus kind of being in the weeds of everything so he ended up leaving and i took it over for the time being and i ended up doing a really good job and they said well why don't you just keep it and so i kind of worked myself into that promotion you know and and i was able to show that what my capabilities were because I was always, sure, I'll do it. If I fail, then I fail, Right. you know? But you need to have good mentors along the way that are kind of helping you where when you get stuck, you go ask the question because I don't think you should ever be worried to ask a question. And the more you ask, the more you're going to learn and, and hopefully not make that mistake, right? So I ended up taking over that program. And as that was going, we ended up getting uh, another project up in Bakersfield. And so I started working on that as a project engineer underneath the project manager on that job. Because While you were still working as well, the I was still manager. doing the program manager. And I was this other job up in Bakersfield was a large 
larger project. And so they needed help. So I went as a project engineer on that job. But crazy enough, the project manager on that job and I ended up developing a really good relationship. And he gave me way more responsibility probably than what my level was in the company. But I loved it because I got exposed to so many more things that I haven't yet in the past. And I was able to actually grow probably the most on that project than I have on any of the other projects that I've, I've actually been on because he had me go in and do the estimate review with the client. He wasn't there. And so I'm here backing up our estimate with the client that has way more experience than I do. So that was a huge exposure to me that I haven't had to do. I always just got to be in the room and be quiet and someone else had to do all the that you talking. Gotta answer the questions. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So she's like, she's like a kid in grammar school. Yeah. Okay. She's got, got to the fifth grade and it's like suddenly things are exploding. Yeah. You know, she's been soaking up all this stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, Oh, sixth grade. I'm going to write a paper. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do have to point this out. I mean, Rarely do I meet people younger than me that very well impressed me and have surpassed me. I mean, I figure this is like when Cliff first met me, right? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> she's talking about, oh, then I grew so much here. And it's like, holy crap, you didn't grow. How much did you grow when you were in Paris? Yeah. But uh, that's awesome. I mean, you took the opportunity and you mm -hmm. ran with it. And yeah. you're capable of it. I mean, yeah. no one's telling you you can't do it. Yeah. So, I, you know, really my, my actual title was project engineer, but really I worked more as like a deputy project manager and an engineering manager because I pretty much oversaw all the engineering at the same time. And, and a lot of that's strictly, I look at kind of the story I've told you of what my past has been. And I've taken little bits and pieces from all of that. And on that project up in Bakersfield, there was a huge part of construction because we were doing the CM while well, I was one of the few that had a lot of construction experience. So I developed all our temporary facilities. I developed all of that early on so that we had it before we ever either got into that construction part. You know, my experience is very broad that I have a lot of places to pull from in order to be successful. Well, and I, the quote that comes to mind, there's a famous quote that they say, you'd be amazed what you can accomplish when you don't worry about who gets the credit. Yeah. And here you are working in a position that's one of your original I mean it's like almost like you could think of it like a lower position mm -hmm. if you really wanted to but you took it because hey what was your motivation you know yeah. you want the company to succeed this yeah. is what they need and there you go yeah and if people had that attitude like you can see where it can get you yeah so. and a lot of it's you know pride in your work but you know as I said earlier in this podcast is I think and it's not just me and I, and I, I do a lot of athletic analogies but I think a lot of why I've been successful pulls from that, yeah. you know, of just the type of person I am. And, and it is a teamwork. When you work on these big projects or any project, you're only as good as the guy doing the work too. And so if the team's not being successful, I'm not going to be, what no Ryan, matter what role I'm in. What did Ryan say? You're only as good as your worst performing sub. That's right. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it is. Uh, and that it's very true. From there, you were in Bakersfield and still going to Alaska. And still going to Alaska. For how long? God, I was on Alaska for about a year. And then I overlapped for probably four months. And during that time, I was kind of 
giving the Alaska work to someone else so that I could focus on the Bakersfield job. We should also touch on your trips to Alaska. They were to these big five-star areas, right? Yeah, yeah Anchorage, Fairbanks, man camps, <laughs> all up and down the pipeline. So it was actually a really cool experience. And, and the man camps, honestly, were actually pretty cool. I mean, I probably gained 10 pounds being in a man camp because... They have food 24-7. You know, anybody and you want for food. it's ice yeah. cold out. Yeah, I mean, it is so cold out that you just kind of hang out in the lodge at night and... <laughs> eat. Eat, and yeah, there's not a whole lot to do, you know, if you're not working, so... But, I mean, it was a good environment, to be honest. But, yeah, so I, I was actually going up to Alaska for two weeks, and then I'd come back for about a week and then go back up for two weeks. And, yeah, I did that for quite quite a while got racked up a lot of mileage and hotel points is this after houston this was this yeah, after paris after paris and so, so so it is after houston yeah yeah so you're teaching too oh yeah that's right yeah. oh yeah well, yeah we'll, we'll yeah we'll, we'll get into some of the other stuff that she's doing and it is important to remember that she's doing that with all of this other stuff that yeah. she's doing so from bakersfield where'd you go so from bakersfield I came back and I became an area project manager on a local project here at a refinery and it's about a $500 million project. So I got to oversee my whole entire area because there were kind of two refineries that we were combining into one. So I oversaw one in Wilmington, California, and that was kind of like my first real big project that I was overseeing everything. So I did that, I think that started in 2015. And I did that for about a year and a half. And Floor was supposed to do the CM on that, but this particular client wanted to end up doing the CM themselves. But they wanted some of the Floor people to go as part of their CM team to kind of help get them up mentor. and off the ground. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. Mentor and kind of get them up and running and, and be successful. And Give so, us your systems. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All your practices, your procedures. Yeah. <laughs> Sure, 100 years, you guys got yeah. this. So yeah, we. I'm still on that project right now, slowly rotating now to be a program manager for the West Coast for another client. But as part of this in seconded role, I've been in construction now for yeah, about a year and a half. So about I've been on that job three years. So from engineering all the way through now construction and, and turning over stuff. And we've started up a few units and just balls rolling. So that's good. You could retire today and have accomplished as much as a lot of people <laughs> in their career. You know, that is amazing to me. Oh, and I mean that. You. Like, that is amazing. And then let's touch on some of the other stuff she was doing in the meantime. So you graduated from Long Beach. I did. But you did go back to school. I did. I, I went back to ASU and did my grad school there and got my degree in construction. And you did the online program. I did. So when I did grad school, I was in Washington State up in Moses Lake. And I needed, because when you're in the field, you can't really leave during construction to go somewhere, especially on the type of projects that we're doing. So I had to go to a place that I never had to step foot on campus. And that being ASU, they said, you're accepted. I said, okay, let's do it. Right. So, and I did it very quick. I kind of just decided and I last minute yeah like I I need something to where I'm feeling like I'm progressing and and moving forward and so went took the GRE and the deadline to apply was like days after that so I had to get everything in like really quick 
got accepted, ended up going, and, and as I was telling you guys earlier at dinner, is undergrad was great. I had great relationships with all my professors, but grad school was very different, and I feel my relationship was even better with those professors. And, and I think it, it is just, it's a different level, and it's a lot of, especially being online, communication is so key, mm-hmm. and the one thing I, I really actually enjoyed about ASU is each one of my professors called me each week to ask if I had any questions on the lecture, how things were going, and just kind of that touch base. So we actually had phone conversations every week with each professor. Yeah, I did. That's extraordinary. In yeah, a and you know, they would take the time out of their day to do it, and I had some of the best conversations with them in the time being, and you know, ASU, especially in the construction side, they do a lot of work for CII, and they did a lot of work for floor, a lot of research, which I didn't even know yeah. until my first professors told me this. And so I ended up kind of being a guinea pig, I think, in a lot of ways in our conversations of like, well, how does floor do this? And, you know, it was good knowledge base for them, too, because eventually that's going to come back to floor if they're doing the research for us. Yeah. So, yeah, I ended up having really good relationships with them. What was the difference in the curriculum in the graduate program versus your undergraduate program? What did they do? I think the biggest difference as you move up in academics is undergrad, and this is how I explain it even to my students today, is undergrad gives you a great basis for everything you're going to do in the industry. You don't really learn it until you get out there and you're actually doing it, but you get the basis of it. Grad school, when you get into your master's program, is you're learning all these theories. You're learning why things happen the way they do in today's world of that particular study that you're discipline uh, whatever discipline discipline that you're in yeah yeah so yeah it it definitely it's it's the theories of whatever you're studying the discipline that you're studying and and what your degree is going to be in but when you get into your doctorate you're pretty much coming up now with your own theory because that's what your dissertation is right you've you've learned the basis of it You've learned everyone else's theory of why it happens this way, but now what's yours? And that's really the way I look at the different levels in the academia world because it's not as simple as, well, here's how the curriculum is and here's what's a little bit different. And because you kind of do some of the same in both. But when you're in your master's degree, you're kind of like, oh, that's, I learned that in grad school. We were using Primavera. That's why, so this is, kind of the theories behind that why you use why you're using it but i do think also in grad school like for masters it was a lot more people skills and understanding how people work hence the leadership part of it is as you kind of move up yeah you learn the theories we did a lot of cost stuff they gave us kind of one of our projects was they gave you an entire site they gave you what your scope was and you had to do from a cost perspective the cash flow for the whole project throughout the year and they would give you your reports each each week and you'd have to update your cost sheets to reflect all that. And then they'd say, oh, your site was vandalized. Here's what you lost or you had a delay because of rain. And so you had to kind of follow this throughout the whole semester. And that one I actually learned quite a bit on. And, and being at site, I highly relied on our cost engineers to kind of help teach it to me as well. So yeah, there, there's some like true hands-on experience, but a lot of it's, you know, theories during gra- master's anyways. And then truly when you get to your doctorate, it, it's really what's your own theory. It's funny because I don't really think of construction as being theoretical. 
but there's theories behind why things are done the way they are. Well, yeah, it's okay. really funny, and the point I really want to make here is you're one of the first that have talked about the higher education being worth it. Mm. And a lot of people are like, oh, you know, you go out in the field and you're going to learn it and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And so there exists, you know, there's not a right answer for anybody. No. But you made a really interesting comment earlier about how, like, you had gotten into this career. I mean, you, you've you had this great career up until this point, And you're kind of like, feel like you're stagnating. Mm-hmm. And so you needed something else. Yeah. Well, you did this in your second or third year, right? Yeah. And so it's important for kids to understand as they come out of school, maybe you get out there and you're gung-ho and then maybe you start really wondering if you made the right choice. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? And and if you do get in that position, that's a normal feeling. Mm-hmm. And so you can either work through it in one way or another. And one of the things that you found was higher education. Yeah. You know, you can pursue a, a, a graduate degree. Yeah. And it kind of goes into, I was telling you guys at dinner, academics was not number one for me. Well, yeah. Did you ever see yourself as a doctorate? No. No. <laughs> and now, today, you ask me that? Absolutely. I want to get my doctorate. And that is on my list. I just need to be able to stay in one spot long, long enough, enough to, to go do it. do it, right? Because it's not an online thing. Right. But yeah, I, I definitely want to go get my doctorate because I eventually want to teach when I retire. And not to say that I couldn't now with the experience that I have on my resume that I couldn't do that when I retire. But I think now getting my doctorate is just kind of that goal. What schools that I have for a doctorate in construction? USC does, actually. Out here, they it's, again, part of their civil engineering group. But when you get into your doctorate, it could be so many different things. It doesn't necessarily have to be Well, there's really construction. not a Right. It's, it's really just the willingness of the faculty to assist you. Yeah, in some ways, yeah. And, and it's, to me, if you're going to go do your doctorate and for how much work goes into developing your dissertation... You better be really passionate about what you're about to go research. Well, because it's probably not going to reflect in your pay. It won't. No. Yeah. <laughs> it absolutely won't. And even your getting your master's might not. Yeah. But I didn't get, my, for me personally, I didn't get my master's. To get a pay my, Yeah, exactly. Know. And you know what? If I didn't get my master's, I would have never been able to teach. Because, and so if you want to look at a pay bump, I get paid to teach at the University of Houston. But... That was never my goal when I got my master's. And, you know, I talk about your network and your building your relationships. Well, I ended up having such a good relationship with my professors at ASU. And when I, you know, went to Houston with Floor, I started saying to people, you know, I really am interested in teaching. Is there, you know, like, do you have any connections? Do you have a network? And someone did. And they connected me with the right person at Process Construction Technology Group out of the University of Houston, which is in the petrochemical kind of program for construction. So I went and I met with the dean of that school, sat down and we talked about the curriculum. And then he said, well, what classes do you want to teach? And I said, well, I really like AutoCAD. And, you know, I really like leadership, too, because, you know, in grad school, I really enjoyed that class. And he looks at me and goes, oh, didn't you do it? your grad school at ASU I said yeah and he goes oh do you know William Badger and I go yeah absolutely <laughs> was my professor. he I was my guy. professor he was my chair like I did so mm. much studying and work underneath him and as I'm telling him this he goes well he starts laughing and he's like you know that class is actually we just contracted with ASU and it's his class we're teaching here at University of Houston and to me I'm like 
This is perfect. It was a graduate class, and because I only have my master's, I can't necessarily teach a graduate level class. You have to have your doctorates. Well, because Dr. Badger and I had such a good relationship, he recommended that I should be the one that teaches that class because I did all the studying under him and did a lot of the research with him that he used for that class. in that class. For that curriculum. Yeah, exactly. I ended up getting to teach that class and I got to start teaching the AutoCAD class as well. And if I didn't have my master's, I would have never met Dr. Badger and likelihood of me, I wouldn't have ever got to teach at University of Houston. And I realized that I actually really enjoy it a lot. And so I taught face-to-face for the year and a half, roughly, that I was in Houston. And then I was going to the Paris job. And I went in and said, hey, you know, sorry, I can't teach anymore because I'm going out of the country. And they came back and said, well, would you be open and willing to convert this all to being online? And sure, absolutely. So you had that experience at ASU. Yeah. So since 2011, I've been teaching at University of Houston because of ASU. So between all of the other projects she was doing, like you said, she was also teaching on top of that. Yeah. How many nights a week? Now, you know, we invite people on here. This is one thing I want to say is this is a platform for you as well. And so talk a little bit about, you know, people that are honestly considering ASU. Mm -hmm. What would you say? I'd say absolutely. You know, I think, like I said, the relationship I had with my professors, those professors don't just teach graduate classes. They teach a lot of undergrad classes. And at ASU, what I realized is they're so connected to CII, and they do a lot. CII? The Construction Institute. Okay. And so they do so much work for there. Like, you look at CII's best practices, this is from these teams that, do all this research of saying hey here's the good and the bad and here's the best practice of what you should be doing whether it's project management from its installation of something across the board there are so many different aspects of CII but this is a school that does a ton of research and I truly in my opinion care about their students because I have never had a professor take the time out of their day to give to a student weekly like that and I wasn't the only one it was however many kids were in in our class right and you know Long Beach State another great school but from and I had don't get me wrong I had great relationships with my professors there but they were different than when I had when I went to grad school so you would recommend both I would uh, what about the university what about the University of Houston yeah same (laughs) one now what I thought was very unique about the University of Houston is they sit the University of Houston is in an area where the oil and gas business is very strong. Right. And so they definitely... They're really close to the channel, actually, right? Absolutely. So the program that I, I teach in there is very organized to that kind of audience. Oriented towards oil yeah, and gas industry. Exactly. And they have a board that comes in and, and people from Floor, from Bechtel, from the oil companies all come in to review the curriculum that the students are learning there. And so the curriculum is very refined, refined, and and, designed and, to fast track and it's kids. really petrochemically oriented. Yeah, absolutely. Because and those because those firms are supporting that school. Yeah, the fact that their curriculum gets looked at so often by a board of experienced people in the industry is so important. I mean, I wish I could say that about the other programs that I was in, but I don't know if they were or not. But I do know the University of Houston's was. And not only that, a lot of the industry 
professionals are the teachers, are the professors for that program. So you're getting real life experience from all these people teaching your class. You're de developing a network for when you graduate that. And, I, and I'll be honest, I see who my students are. I know the ones that are doing a <laughs> heck of a job that I'd be like, man, I would, have would be. He could work for me any day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I look at them and I'm like, man, I would take them in a heartbeat. Yeah. And I remember that. And when Floor's looking for people, whose name do you think I'm going to put up there? Yeah. You know, so it, you build it relationships. From a, relationships and from a student aspect, I mean, how much better could that get? Yeah, your professors, your actual true academic professors have a great network too. But when you're actually getting taught by the industry professionals, your, your professor is the leader in the industry. Yeah, that could actually bring you into their company, especially when you look at an industry like the economy of where we're at now. You know, yeah, we're, we're moving up, but what would be more important than that right now? So I think that's another really unique thing about the University of Houston. Awesome. Well, the other thing that I think we should put on the platform, and we talked about you know, bringing this up, is the gender idea. Mm -hmm. Because I would love to hear from you. Like I said, we have apparently a lot of listeners that are female. Yeah. And while I could sit here and spout off nonsense all day, like I don't know what it's like. Sure. And so what would you say to these kids that are studying or they have a desire to get into the field? Is it harder? Is it, I mean, what, what would be your advice to them? I don't think it's necessarily harder, but we use the word confidence earlier. I think you have to go in like you belong at the table. And when you go into a meeting room, if there's chairs along the walls, don't sit on the chairs around the walls, sit at the chair on the table and have a voice at the table. And I think that happens a lot. It's this confidence type of thing where you kind of get overtaken in a room and so you're quieter or more reserved in some aspects but you actually are really knowledgeable or you won't be there to begin with and you have the input to put in it and and I can say this and I went as a 23 year old field engineer up into Washington State working with all craft and overseeing craft and I didn't have a problem with being a woman or being young yeah i get joked around a lot with for being young You're yeah green, i'm green yeah. and whatever but i'll throw it right back at you at times but i'm respectful and i think as you can prove that you have the knowledge and that you belong there in a lot of ways then you're going to get you know that respect and i think that goes for guys coming out of college too oh, yeah. i think it's it doesn't matter whether you're female or male that those same type of qualities need to be there i am lucky in some aspects i'm six two and I don't necessarily have the highest voice, you know, I have a lower voice. And so the demeanor is a little bit different. And being a D1 basketball player when I first started definitely made a difference because my conversations are different. I'm interested in sports. Yeah, let's talk about it. You you're know, not, and you're not afraid of conflict. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And and I'll go head on. And, and, and I think a lot of that is just my own confidence and, and what I think is right and wrong. And that teamwork aspect of it is I'm not saying you're not right and there's many times that I'm not right and sometimes we're both of us are right so let's maybe integrate that to come up with what the actual solution should be and so it's getting people to buy in at the same time and you know I'll give you an example there's a lady that I work with who has like 30 years of experience and she comes in and kind of shares a lot with me and wants advice or mentorship or however you want to look at it. And a lot of it is because she said, you know, Jamie, 
when you talk in a meeting, people stop and they actually, they listen to you. Where sometimes she gets drowned out. And this particular person, you know, and, I, and I've been trying to coach her when I hear her do certain things in a meeting because what she says a lot is sorry. Is someone will say, and she's like, oh, sorry. And, and so now I'm like, what are you sorry what, for? What are you saying sorry for? <laughs> Stop saying sorry. Right. And so we'll be in meetings. And, and because I've been able to have some of these conversations, you know, she'll say it in a meeting and I'll just look at her. And she's like, oh, sorry. You know, like. <laughs> it's a hard thing to overcome. Yeah, you know. exactly. But it's it's things like that that I think women need to have that self-confidence that they have just as right to be at that table. See, and she's been in the industry for 30 years. Yeah. So she grew up in an environment where Very it was yeah, way different. Mm-hmm. It was just like, what are you doing at this table anyway? Yeah, yeah okay. it's, it's very different. Because... 30 years ago? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 30 years ago, I can tell you, there was one engineer at Texaco that was a woman. I believe it. You know? Yeah. We had a department manager that she was a admin 30-some years ago. She retired probably five years ago, but worked her way up all the way to be a department head of an engineering discipline. Didn't even have a degree in it. She was an admin. That's where she started way back then, but... She knew what she was talking about and got the respect she deserved and made her way through the company. But I really do think a lot of it is confidence and having respect and really knowing you belong there and really being a part of the team and, and not sometimes one of those, I think more people need to talk about it, Yeah. to be honest, and to get that more of that equality. And, and I think it allow younger women going into college to kind of go into those engineering degrees, those construction degrees and come into the industry because it is shifting. And as we're getting younger people into the industry, their mentality is very different because for me, I don't know what happened 30 years ago. I only know the stories that people tell me, but my generation's thought process is very different. And, and so it's the more you can get in, eventually that change is going to happen. Right. But I think, with women, it is. It's sit at the table. You've you've used the term. It's confidence, mm-hmm. and I think every individual needs to recognize their own accomplishments mm-hmm. and not short sell themselves. So it's like you know you're here at the table for a reason, right? You've had the opportunity to be here. You belong here. Yep. If you didn't belong here, most people wouldn't bring you. Yep. So you need to recognize that and say, well, I have something to contribute. Mm-hmm. It's like when I was in architecture school, I knew I was not like the best designer. But, you know, I had two professors when I went through my review and they went, you're a contributor. It's like you you always have something to contribute. And you don't have to have the best idea. But if you contribute, that contributes to the final idea. It's just teamwork, right? You felt you saw where you play a part of that team. And as long as you kind of do that role, then you're going to be successful. Yeah, I think the confidence, I think the respect is big because it's building the relationship. Honestly, at the end of the day, I take time to go around to each of the people I work with. And I have conversations that have nothing to do with work, you know, because I I want to get to know them more on a personal level so that when I do come to talk to them about work or if there's like a real big issue we need to figure out. 
then you're going to be more receptacle to actually supporting me in that. At the same time, remember, I, I'm responsible, but I don't have authority over you. Right. You actually report to someone else, so it's more important that my relationship is there and that I'm not trying to think I know more than you because there's many times with my team, I'm like, they'll come to me with the problem and I'm supposed to give them a solution. I'm like, look, you're the expert. Yeah. <laughs> tell me what we you should tell do. me what we should do and I'll let you know if it actually makes sense in the bigger scheme of things or not yeah. right and and so I think it's having that discussion with them and and truly having them buy into what you're doing I've told people when they have a problem you go to the person who's directing you because one thing is it's no longer your problem now you're sharing the problem yeah okay yeah and I had an employer and I would write something, and I'd go down and I'd hand it to him, and he'd like, let's do this or this or this. So we worked on it together mm -hmm. and crafted a much better response than if I'd done it all by myself. Yeah. So there is that teamwork all the time. Mm -hmm. and you need to be able to contribute right off the bat. If you go in and ask, well, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do, the guy who's directing you doesn't want to give you all the answers. If he might as well write it himself if he yeah. has to give you all those answers. Yeah. You're not bringing any value right. to the table. I have these little rules that I kind of try to follow. So the one I gave you guys is if you're asked to do this, do 5% more. Well, the same thing is if you have a problem, at least present a solution with it. Maybe it's not the right solution, but at least it's start something to start with. And I know you at least thought about it. I've tried to come right? up with a solution. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe it's not right, but maybe mine isn't either, but maybe we'll find the right person. Or maybe it's a combination, like I mentioned earlier, of, of both ours. So, and I did that a lot. You know, you talk about being a female in, in the construction industry early on in my career. So I'm young, I'm female. It's, I'm working pretty much with all men. But the biggest thing is when I worked with my contractor, when I got at the craft level to actually have them start doing work for me, it was a lot of us talking through solutions. I already had an idea of what I wanted to do, but I wanted to hear kind of what they thought. How they've been doing it for how long? I could maybe I'll learn something, right? And there were times where I would say, you know what, no, like we can't do it that way. But I would explain why so that they understood it as well. And then there were many times I'm like, you know what, it's not a bad idea. Here's kind of what I was thinking. But what if we kind of did this instead? And it was a combination of both of our ideas and. It got a lot of buy-in from their general foreman in particular. And then I would go out to the craft. Like I told you, I, I was shadowing everybody. I'd go out to the craft and be like, hey, so how do you do this? How do you actually build this? And I mean, those craft guys would get so excited to show you that. And so I started building this relationship from each level within the contractor that I was overseeing. And there were nights we would do pours at like two in the morning or we'd be out there till like 11 o'clock night waiting for the concrete to cure just so we could broom finish it, right. right? And I would sit there and joke around with the guys pouring the concrete, you know, why we're just literally waiting for the concrete to dry. Oh, and, and I learned a lot about them. And so when I, it just made my job a lot easier and, and I had a lot of respect from them. And one thing I can say in my career, I've never been in a position where I felt that it had anything to do with my gender. Don't get me wrong, there's women I've worked with that definitely have been in those positions. Right. But me personally and all the experience I have, I've I've never been in in that position. And the one area that maybe there was a, a small chance I thought maybe that could be it was a cultural thing. And it was because the hierarchy within their culture. 
And they reported to me. It took a long time. I, I shared an office with another individual at this time that this guy was reporting to me and definitely two extremely different cultures. And we bumped heads a lot because I'm responsible for it. I need you to tell me all these things that you're not going to go out there and run this yourself, right? But I had to be really strategic and I had to try all these different ways to get through to him, to get him to respect me as to where I should be and be involved in. It took a lot of time, but you could see that turn and it was great sharing an office with somebody that they could give me feedback of the interactions that I was having with this individual. And now it's completely different. This individual, anytime he has an issue, he calls me and said, hey, do you have some, uh, some time to talk? I need some advice. And I think what he learned is at the end of the day, I had his back. Even though I maybe had to get on him a couple times, I still had his back for the right reasons. And I actually saved him in a lot of different situations where I think now, even though we have cultural differences, I have 100% respect from him. And, and I think that could probably be the only time in my career where I felt the gender card was relevant. Mm -hmm. yeah. I have this question. I have it written down here. So do you think you got set up by your site manager in that office? Have you ever thought that? From a growth standpoint? Yeah. In other words, he had already picked you out. And he put that VP in the office with you. Oh, I do think so, to be honest. How Floor picks their people for these programs is I had to be on a list somewhere as, hey, this is an up-and-coming, a high-potential employee. Let's look at her for getting her into this program. And Floor does that. And they'll secretly have Ring. someone come interview you without you even knowing it happened. And so, yeah, I, I think that could have been part of it. And, and a lot of it is because the site manager saw what my capabilities were and, and make sure I, I had gotten the exposure within the company. That won't happen here, kid. Dang it. <laughs> it's too small an organization. Dang it. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know where I'm going to go from here. I, you know, I guess the thing to say is, is to the females out there, like there is no reason you cannot succeed. Oh, absolutely field. not. And uh, whether you're the, your position or your the part you play is – you know, the bulldog that comes mm -hmm. in and fights with everybody up front or whether you're just the supporting role or whatever, there's, yeah. there's, there's a need for everybody on the team. Absolutely. And so you can find your place. Yep. Uh, you know, a lot of other people have talked about the culture, like find a company where the culture meshes with you. Mm -hmm. And if you'll do that, and maybe it's not the first company, and maybe yeah. it's not the second company, but eventually you can find a place. Yeah. Moving forward, as we're going to try to wrap up, students that are in school right now, what are some things you'd suggest they learn? I think... Most programs, I believe, they have to do internships, and rarely do you not have to. I would say take full advantage of that. Full advantage, because, like I said earlier, in school you're going to learn the basic of everything that you need to know, but the real experience comes on the job training. And so, if you're in your internship, go shadow everybody that you can. Go above and beyond kind of what role they give you and the tasks and activities they give you, because you're going to get the quantity takeoffs, the RFI tracking, all those kind of things. But get out in the field and learn from the craft that's out there. Because the more you can understand what they do, the better you're going to do in your job going into the construction industry. Internships, internships, internships. doesn't matter who it's for. Mm -hmm. Whether it's for the college you're going to, yeah. whether it's for a subcontractor. If you have to call around and find an internship, yeah. 
the network you're starting to build. Oh, absolutely. And and the other point I wanted to make with the network is, and I didn't realize this till it was too late. Well, not necessarily too late. It actually helped me a lot when I got into grad school and the relationship with my professors. I don't. I wish in undergrad I would have made more of an effort to go to their time slots that they allow you to come in and meet with them. And I would have just went in and just said hi. Yeah. You know, undergrads never do that. No, I, I did it. I was like, that's the last thing I want to go do. Right. But they have their office hours, right. you know, for a certain like Q&A reason or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't necessarily have to be school about related. school related. It could be go ask them about some something else, some job you want to get in. Ask them about a company. What do they know about it or a field that you're interested in or what other things that you could be doing to kind of get ahead and build the relationship with those professors because man I, I wish that's one thing I wish I would have done more in undergrad because I've seen during grad school how much in my future it played a part when I didn't even know it would well and don't ever forget about the students in class with you oh absolutely yeah, how many people are probably kicking themselves because they didn't connect with Jamie and LinkedIn <laughs> oh yeah no and, and that's like an, another huge thing like I don't even think LinkedIn was around then, yeah. when, when you know when I was in school and especially in undergrad but absolutely you should be connected with all your classmates I mean my classmates now and I I are yeah. and I can guarantee you if you called one of them because your classes are a lot smaller they would get you in to yeah. their company or at least pass your resume on to the right person and, and you know if you go online and you apply it kind of sometimes goes into a black hole if you have a direct connection it makes a world of difference it makes a huge difference mm-hmm you know, and, and you talk about going and seeing your professors. At Rice, we'd go over, we'd have dinner with the dean. There were, like, f- maybe five of us that we just developed a relationship with the dean. We'd have dinner together. He'd come to our home. We'd go to his home. Yeah. And, you know, he really enjoyed it. Yeah. He was like, this is great, you know, because most students were like, you had dinner with the dean? Yeah. It's like, yeah, Jack's a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> See, and the, and here's the thing is, if that doesn't already exist, why not go create that? Because I guarantee you the dean, your professors, even if it's like, hey, after this class, we're going to go get a beer. Yeah. You want to come? I guarantee you more times than not, they'll go with you. Is there any software or anything you think they should be looking at? Definitely understand the scheduling software and and it's interesting because each company and industry uses a little bit different so and the owner can dictate if they want to run a different one on a project that's right so i think if you get kind of those basic ones done around scheduling you know what's really interesting is you see rfis and change orders being tracked whether it's in a program a lot of times you even see it just in an excel file excel spreadsheet right so i think it's it's learning kind of those the one thing that helped I can tell you this that I think set me apart a lot in construction is I knew AutoCAD and the students that I teach that go into construction I've gotten emails from them now that they have started their actual careers and have graduated and are actually working where I've gotten emails back from them saying thank you for learning AutoCAD because it's one of those tools that you can use for so many different things during construction and the other tool that I teach my students that is a huge lifesaver and free is SketchUp. That is one of those tools that, man, that comes in handy all the time. So that, those would kind of be the two big ones because the other programs, academic program for undergrad, you're going to learn kind of some of those anyway. So 
The two that you might not always get exposed to would be SketchUp and AutoCAD. So I would say definitely those two would, would help. Well, and if nothing else, you know, there's some great YouTube videos about SketchUp. Oh, yeah. You, know, you could teach yourself. To be honest, it's, I make my students teach themselves it because that's the only way you're really going to learn it. I'll sit in and I'll do a few examples and I'll show what past show students what this have can done. Do, you know? Yep, but hey, here's all the re references you guys need to go check out. And the funny thing is I have them, I give them a scope of work and I give them the plot on an image and I make them go build the site. And they have to do all the heavy haul road and they have to do the temporary facilities and then they have to build the site of how this would all work. And then they have to put their construction plan together, how they're going to execute it. Well, it's funny because when I get the students projects back because it's a semester project you can tell so quick who spent time on it and who quickly put this together the last and week they were stressing yeah. About it. yeah and some students more times than not actually get really interested and actually spend a lot of time on it and they learn the program by the end of that project you know SketchUp, and you're you'll use it in construction i, I can tell you that awesome is there any technology you've seen that just kind of blows your mind well, funny enough, I'm actually part of this. I lead this innovation team at Floor, and we were given this industry challenge that we had to come up with a solution for. And so we've kind of created this entire solution. I, I can't go into it, but there is so much construction technology out there just from my research, yeah. developing our solution, that it is growing quickly. And, I mean, the fact that you can take a 360 degree, degree camera and walk through a site, come back to your computer and actually pull somewhat accurate. I mean, you're off give or take a couple inches, but for construction, you can pull measurements on it. You can make comments on these 360 photorealistic images. And, and I mean, I think that is huge. There's a lot of stuff around safety now between drones. Yeah, and you could almost, you can make a credit just being a construction drone operator. And, and here's the, crazy thing too is on any side is there's so much technology out there to make your job easier now and more and more is getting created that you could almost take a component from each little piece to create what you actually really need it to do yeah. and a lot of these companies out here that that's what their main focus is will actually work with you to better their technology and it could be end up becoming a, a pretty good partnership anything else you'd like to any other advice or anything you'd like to give kids that are are looking at a career? I think the biggest areas that I, I focus on is just do 5% more than you're always asked. And when you kind of get into this career, that'll go noticed. The easier you make your boss's life, the happier they're going to be. Yeah. And you're going to get more responsibilities. And you hit on, you know, the company culture. I think when you're looking for jobs, really pay attention to that. And if you're comfortable and you see yourself fitting into that company and, and the dynamic of that company and not expecting that you know everything at the beginning because you don't. There's a lot you don't know. There's a lot I don't know right now, but I think the culture and, and doing that 5% extra is, is key. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you coming on, Jamie. Yeah. We really are grateful. Um, it's hard to get people to come on. I mean, you know, I've reached out to a couple. One of the women, Whiting Turner, we've worked with them. She's scared to death of public speaking. Mm. And so we appreciate that she came and would come on and talk. Yeah. And, uh, again, it's like our first celebrity we've had. Yeah, celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I appreciate you inviting me. And, no, it's just been great. And, and I think it's great what you guys are doing and especially helping, you know, college students and getting people into this industry. And 
And I wish something like this was around when, when I was up and coming into and it. That's kind of the driving force. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what should they know? What do you wish you had known when you were in their position? Yeah. And uh, we've had a lot of great advice. It's so funny that every episode touches on some of the same key points. Oh, I believe it. And I hope people, that resonates with people. Like, you're going to have to eventually learn this. Yeah. And so the faster you do it, the better it is. Yep. You know, for the listeners, we love, we'd love to hear from where all the listeners are. We see these geography of where they're coming from. Uh, we've got people from Australia, United Kingdom, India. You know, feel free to drop us a line. I'd love to hear some intake if there's things you think we could do better. Uh, you can always reach us, reach me at Kent at constructioncareerpodcast.com. So please take a few minutes and shoot out an email. Everybody, good luck in your career. Anything you want to say, Cliff? Nope. Sounds great. Well, we appreciate it again, and have a good evening, everybody. <laughs>